Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I've just put together episode 48 of my Lessons from Lost podcast. Nearly at the half century. Who are you talking to this week? I've spoken to Eleanor Snare. And what's the story here? But it's all about reclaiming joy and playfulness in life following an experience of sexual trauma as a young adult. That sounds interesting. Does the porcupine feature this week? Porcupines are quite playful, so maybe. Let's find out, shall we? Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences and also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. So please take care as you listen. So today I'm delighted to be chatting with Eleanor Snare, facilitator, author, speaker and coach. Eleanor, like many of us, experienced delight and happiness as a young child. But for Eleanor, that joy in life was soon squashed and repressed with a turbulent family situation. At 16, was raped and a focus on working hard to strive for success led to burnout and breakdown when they reached 30. Eleanor now lives experiencing the joy of purely existing every single day, having worked out that key to healing and reawakening the wisdom inside that was locked down and lost. So welcome along, Eleanor. Thank you, Rachel. It's lovely hearing the description of yourself like that. I'm really just sitting with it and feeling into it. That felt really good. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for coming on today to share your story. And I'm sure that that is going to resonate with many of us, that sort of loss of the playful, joyful existence that we have as children that somehow gets squashed and lost as we journey through adulthood or sometimes earlier, as in your case. And I'm really intrigued to find out how you claim to this joy of, you know, just existing on a on a daily basis, giving everything that you that you did experience. Mm. But before we get to that point, because I'm sure we will do, perhaps we can start with that sort of joy and delight of being a child. How was that for you? Mm, Yeah. So I really I think I still have a very playful and childlike spirit and I think it's always been there. As we said, it's just been covered over. But when I was very small, I grew up in a a little village kind of surrounded by fields. And I spent a lot of time having a lot of fun sort of roaming about very freely. And I had a really, really active imagination. So when I was spending time outdoors, it was always this kind of myths and legends and witches brews, you know, where you put like loads of flowers in a bucket of water and you're making a potion. And I was also an avid reader and I was very kind of tomboyish in a lot of of ways. So lots of like climbing, (laughs) climbing up trees and like there was a um, like a kind of scrap metal or scrap heap person down our lane. And we used to just go and climb all over the scrap heaps, which is so dangerous. (laughs) Um, Just did loads of stuff like that. And and also kind of very um, performative with my sister. Me and my sister were very, we still are very silly and used to love kind of dressing up and putting on plays and, and making adverts and like making these kind of fun 
projects everything was a project when I was a kid and I still have very fond memories of you know at school doing my first project about Italy where I kind of sellotaped some lira into the book and I just had this very kind of um the, what I remember from it because that is one of the sides of, of trauma that maybe we'll, we'll speak about and touch on is it can be very hard to remember the kind of reality of it so it's quite fragmented um, a lot of my childhood memories but the good parts that I really remember are very joyful and with this really strong sense of freedom and a complete sort of lack of regard for worrying about what anyone else was thinking or feeling just really enjoying being myself and having fun and exploring the world in a very um robust and kind of adventurous way and those are the you know when I think of that when I when I feel into those memories and I can remember the very the the parts that feel really kind of bright and and glowing and happy it's me you know running through a field or it's me in like my Dennis and Menace t-shirt like climbing a tree or head like deep in a book kind of imagining all these worlds and just feeling this real excitement of um the opportunity just to be alive and just to experience what it is to kind of exist so that you know that was a really strong it wasn't idyllic I mean there's lots of things about it that weren't idyllic um but when I remember those positive sides it's that feeling of freedom and I think that's what people resonate with when I talk about my story and, and maybe when I share that side of myself now is the sense of freedom that all of us have, all of us have all the time, all of us are born with. And over time, these can kind of constraints either get put on us or we choose to adopt them because we're kind of a bit scared of our freedom. You know, we're a bit mm. scared of the spaciousness and the extent to which we can adventure and can explore. So sometimes it feels a bit easier and more comforting to, to allow these constraints to be put on or, or to, to kind of put them on yourself. And I guess that freedom is, it's not just kind of a, a physical freedom, is it, of being able to, you know, go off and play down the uh, the metal scrap merchants yeah. or run across fields and, and climb trees. It's that freedom, I guess, to be yourself. So that I suppose the constraints as to who people think we should be. Yes. That's that's yeah. one of the freedoms or lack Absolutely. of freedoms that, that yeah. springs to the, my mind when you talk about freedom. The kind of the freedom of the self-image and the freedom of expression and, and imagination. And that is available to everyone kind of a, as children. But and it is a natural, you know, I, I'm, I'm always averse to use words like natural because I think it gets very complicated about nature and nurture. But I think there's an innate quality and we see it in children, this ability to just think beyond what exists and to create in their minds. And that is the freedom to allow ourselves to imagine and dream. That's a huge part of sens sensations of freedom, because also in that. Being able to dream things to be different is also dreaming ourselves to be different and I used to think a lot when I was a child about being older you know I had this sort of 
and th this is quite a trauma response but having these ideas of when I was 18 and when I could leave home and when I was an adult I would be like this and I would wear this and it was a real vision for me but I, it was about being able to dream outside the circumstances mm. that we were currently experiencing and I think over time again that can get constrained and constrained um, and shut down and that's what causes a, I feel so much frustration with people is we end up kind of backing ourselves into a corner mentally or emotionally because we've lost that capacity to like be comfortable or enjoy the idea of it being different and that you know it's there's reasons for that but that can be really that is a great loss it's a great loss over time that erosion of imagination that I really see so many people you know clients and, and when I was teaching so many students suffer with as well yeah I hadn't thought of it in that way but that yeah that freedom of imagination and and creativity and then of course you can't if you don't have that when you're stuck in situations it is very hard to see a way out because you you haven't got that ability to to perhaps see beyond where you're at absolutely yeah that it, it it's it's if we were to describe it in a very kind of capitalist way it would be about you know problem solving capability but it's more than that it's actually seeing beyond the problem seeing the opportunity and allowing ourselves to take what hurts and what is difficult in our lives and see beyond it either to a time where we've overcome it or a time that we've mutated it and evolved it transformed it to become something really powerful you know really taking what is a crisis and seeing how we can turn it into a triumph a kind of success for ourselves but without imagination which gets crushed really really early without imagination we can't do that it's not it's not even in our kind of vocabulary to do that well I'm very, I'm going to be very intrigued to find out how you recaptured or refound <laughs> this imagination mm. yeah so at what point did things sort of start I suppose experience although you wouldn't necessarily have known it at that point mm. that kind of loss of creativity so I th for me I feel that something that's quite key and I, I believe this is similar for many people but we don't always acknowledge it is that a lot of our la a lot of my life has been spent oscillating between the person I know I truly am and the person I've been encouraged to be or learned to be to survive. And I think that often when people rebel or they take on habits which are rebellious, and these can be very self-destructive. Um, so you you know, risky sexual behavior, that's one that I definitely experienced as a as a um an adult, like a young adult but also things like drinking, smoking, uh, drug use, physical violence, addictive or compulsive behaviours, any kind, just kind of being stroppy in the, like, the lightest possible way. But those rebellious behaviours are often actually the kind of the tension between I know who I really am and I also know what you want me to be or what I've been taught to be and I, I do not know how to, to, to bring those two together. I don't know how to integrate them. I don't know how to manage the, the tension. And for me, you know, coming through therapy for, for most of my adult life in different ways, it's the recognition that actually from a very young age, and I'm talking like a baby, 
there was a way that I was encouraged to behave and there was a way that I wanted to behave. And so even as a young child, although I'm sharing with you that I had that feeling of freedom, that was because at that point in my life, that was like the energy that was winning out. Mm. But there was other times, even in my childhood, you know, vignettes that I can remember where it was much more focused on the person I needed to be for my parents, for my family, for my school, in very some very upsetting ways, things like um, emotional dependency from parents or what would be termed as emotional uh, kind of neglect. So it's not abuse, it's not mean, it's just a, a parent or a couple of parents not necessarily having the emotional vocabulary or the emotional intelligence at that point in their life to kind of feed the child's emotions to be there but actually having this kind of kind of um disparaging uh attitude towards a child's emotions so there was huge chunks of my life and really important parts of it in my developmental cycle where I really recognized that that's what was happening I wasn't having fun. I wasn't free. I was performing the role of being my mom's emotional support or kind of dealing with my dad's kind of emotional uncertainty or looking after my sister or whatever it was. And so when we when I talk about kind of that healing, the how of it being done was recognising that there was these two pieces of me or two people that I was kind of navigating between and recognizing that actually there was somewhere in the middle or perhaps a crossover or something where I could really understand my own experience and I could then choose what I wanted to do and I see I feel like a lot of people do this is they they know who they are they know what's right for them they've known since they were born but then they needed to survive. Mm. And so they took on a particular attitude or a particular way of doing things that helped them survive. And then it just lasts too long. And then later on in life or as a child or as an adult, or even much later in life, you know, perhaps when they have significant life changes like menopause or andropause or divorce or, or death of a parent, then it suddenly comes out that actually there's these two versions of me or two or more that, I haven't integrated and I then the behavior comes in where we're, we're kind of pulling pulling from one to the other so my kind of the healing that I've done over time has really been about letting those parts speak to each other and with the help of my therapist and coaches and more recognizing that it's not that one of them was bad it's not that the person that I created to survive was bad it's that it was a um, a shell that I needed to live in to be safe. And now I've outgrown that shell. So it's okay to leave it behind. And that's very hard because it's, you know, comforting, easy. And it's like I was saying about the constrictions, we know it. And it's like hermit crabs, you know, they're in their shell, it's comfortable. But for them to go and seek a new way of being there's a bit where they have to be kind of naked and running across the beach and without any protection and that's what a lot of that self-development and healing work can feel like I sense is this I'm naked and I'm vulnerable 
but I know I'm going somewhere. I just am not there yet. And I feel a lot of the healing has been accepting that that's, that's the movement that I'm making and not to judge who I was or how I was because of, of needing to survive. That's a, a really important piece, isn't it? That actually that you don't self-criticise for mm. things that you did or ways in which you behaved or the way that you were because at the end of the day, at, at that point in time, I guess you, you were doing the best that you could within the situation you were, Absolutely. You were in and with the the capacity whether that's sort of mental capacity or wisdom or you know resources whatever you want to call it that you had to be able to deal with that situation I guess particularly if it was a situation that you hadn't ever experienced before then yeah which is actually most situations if we think yeah, about it yeah. you know most major life events relationships um endings changes most of the time there are things that we've never experienced before or they're things that we're experiencing and we're a person that we haven't been before. You yeah. know, we're older or we're, we've changed in some way. And so this idea that somehow we get it, we know how to do it, is kind of false. <laughs> and we're always new to it. We're always like that kind of running about on the beach going, what am I doing? What am I doing? But yeah, that that not criticising ourselves because we're recognising that we are doing the best we can with, with how we are in that moment, even if later on it's deeply painful mm. to living with the kind of echoes of that choice or the echoes of that um survival it's still bringing compassion as much compassion as as you can to that person and sometimes it's easier not to do that because we don't don't want to have to do that we want to just be like oh i used to be an idiot or i used to do this and actually being compassionate to that person who you used to be is a really important part of healing and, re and returning to the person you really are, your kind of true self and your true state, because it's all of it. You know, it's all of the sum of everything plus some other stuff that we can't quite define. So at what point did you start your healing journey? Was that when you had the breakdown at, at 13? Mm. Well, so I think it's useful to, to talk here about what was mentioned in the introduction. So that at 16, um, I experienced it like in relationship rape. So something that I think is important to define there is, you know, people see um, sexual abuse and rape in, in still quite narrow ways. So it's kind of a stranger in a dark alley. And for some people, that is their experience. But there are significant instances of, rape or sexual abuse and sexual trauma happening within romantic relationships and that was the case for me and so I was 16 or actually 15 16 it was my first romantic and sexual relationship and the first time I'd had like inter intercourse with someone penetrative sex with someone and sometimes we would have sex and it would be consensual and good and fine and sometimes we had sex and it would not be consensual and it was very confusing for my 16 year old brain to understand the difference between those things and as with all 16 year olds or many 16 year olds I should say 
not having the emotional vocabulary or information to help me with that. So although that was a really um, a very traumatic moment in my life, and I see that as a great loss in a lot of ways, it wasn't like it was the first loss because mm-hmm. the loss was also not having the emotional vocabulary because I wasn't brought up in a house that did that not having the um, independence because I was taught to be emotionally codependent or I learned to be sorry emotionally codependent so that I would survive so it wasn't like that happened and before that I was just some amazing happy-go-lucky kid it was that was a that relationship and that experience in my like my navigation of that experience was a direct correlation to all of what had come before and it's really important for me to recognize that because I at the end of the day who if you are a survivor of rape it is not your fault and we also have to acknowledge that there was experiences particularly in my case experiences before that that meant I didn't know how to say no I didn't know what emotional manipulation was. I didn't know that it was okay to say no to somebody I loved if I didn't feel safe. I didn't, I didn't know how to do that. And so it was almost like in my, in in my mind, I see it as almost like a, a terrible kind of epitome of all of these um, difficult and unhappy experiences like like minor low level trauma that had built up and built up and built up and then this thing happens when I'm 16 that basically blows everything out of the water and that happened in a very complex way it wasn't one event it happened multiple times within a longer relationship that was then compounded by kind of social trauma when we did break up and not telling anyone and all these sorts of things so like that to me after that time was the kind of time where I realised, I suppose, when I was maybe 19, 20, that I was suffering from or struggling with the after effects of lots of different traumatic experiences. And the first step on, on the journey, like for so many people with healing, whether it's around um, a clear loss, so something that you had and then lost, or whether in how I'm seeing mine is, I never knew I had it in the first place, mm. and then I lost it. It was when I first sought help for it. It was because I I had, I had a moment where I couldn't cope, and for me that was crying in my university in one of the corridors of my university, crying at my tutor, and them saying, okay. I'm going to take you to the counselling service and walking me there. And there's a form that um, when you go to something like counselling or sometimes therapy, but they get you to fill it out. And it's a kind of patient questionnaire about your thoughts over the last two weeks. So things like feeling depressed, not able to eat, losing interest. And there's a question about in the last two weeks, have you had thoughts of ending your life or not being here? And I think it was then when I kind of got down to the end of the list and I ticked like very often that I was like, yeah I need support but it was so it was so crisis based that it wasn't I wasn't kind of going and being like I need to heal it was if I don't do this like I'm not going to be here in two weeks time and 
it was a it was the result of these this I don't know if we want to call it compound trauma but these kind of I sometimes think of it as like pebbles in a bag it's like the first pebble fine I can carry that second pebble yeah fine 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 eventually there's a thousand pebbles in that bag and at some point you just your arm snaps but it's it's been so long in that experience that it's almost like you just can't quite believe that you've snapped because you were coping so well so it was really for me I see that as very young and I'm so grateful that that happened when I was 20 because I know so many other people who it happens when they're 50 and every time I you know any time and every time I've I've thought perhaps negatively or less generously about myself about where I should be or what I should have achieved or how I how it would be lovely if I had sorted it out sooner I actually just think yeah but I only had 20 years of not knowing and I've got the rest of my life you know with the wisdom and with the healing so from 20 onwards was really the recognition that I I wanted to have support but like any healing journey around loss it's not linear so I went into some counseling when I was at university and then I came out when I went to do my postgraduate I went in again and and this time it was specialized healing around sexual trauma specifically trauma so it's one if I've got this right it's EMDR which mm-hmm. is about eye movement desensitization something I always get the letters in the wrong order so I'm sure someone will know the right order. Um, And that was a very intense experience of a very specific type of therapy where you can do it with eye movement, but I did it with sound. So you kind of think of your different traumatic memories, but you go back to right when you were a little kid and then work back upwards. So it was quite an excavation. And you listen to these different sounds while reliving essentially the, the most recent trauma memory. And it was a really powerful experience because I had these sessions and then we had the final final one with the talking about the rape experience. And I went to sleep and the next day when I thought about it, it just didn't hurt anymore. And I cannot explain why. And there's actually quite a lot of evidence, which is like they kind of know how EMDR works, but like not quite. But essentially it's resetting pathways in your brain so that it, it no longer had that sting of yeah. a raw wound but what that did was then opened up the realization that there was a lot of other trauma for me to process so it was almost like because I tackled that one all of the stuff before all of the stuff of how I felt in my relationships since then in my familial relationships around that teenage time everything that was when that suddenly came forward and so I sort of then, I guess, did a bit of looking at that, but not really. And that was when it really came out when I was in, when I hit 30. And I hadn't, I had a a year of these kind of eye-opening experiences, some very spiritual, some very mental, some sexual, all different experiences that led me to realizing that there was this whole new layer of knowing myself that I wanted to explore. And, you know, as I said, like a lot of people, I went into that first initial therapeutic 
kind of interest because I, I felt there was something wrong with me that something was critically wrong that I was in crisis mode but as I progressed through that I realized that actually this was about a depth of understanding of myself that I wanted to go into it was almost a um I really see you know that year of my 30 having this strong spiritual awakening and that giving me a foundation of security that I could then go and and look at all this stuff that felt so so difficult before to even kind of pay attention to so between you know my 20 and 20 and 30 was this period of working very hard you mentioned in the intro about burnout just working insanely hard and wanting to do loads of stuff wanting to be successful and that was again was a hangover from being at school because it was I wanted to do well and fit in and make people happy and that was kind of the the measure of success like for Mm. for so many people so all these things and I think that's the point of the healing journey is you're always uncovering new understanding of yourself but it's do you have the capacity and the strength to to look at that right now and I personally I believe that after that initial um healing with the the therapy around the rape experience after that I just don't think I really had the capacity to look at the collections of things that were there and the the intricacies for basically another 10 years because this was like you know I've done lots of work since then and especially you know talking with therapists about things like pre-verbal memory like the memory that I can feel in my body and I've done lots of inner child work and pre-birth experiences and um, we'll get onto it, you know, around sexuality and sensuality. But those are not easy topics for a 20-year-old. No. To talk about, you know, and especially one that has doesn't have the emotion of vocabulary. You know, during the my 20s was also when I was um, starting to learn about communication and working in the field of writing and marketing and communication. So I really credit like tw- my 20s, you know, 20s as I, I learned a lot of tools that I thought I was using for kind of commercial purposes, but then it turns out they were really, they were really <laughs> helpful for me to, to talk about how I was feeling and communicate that. And that's what I've then, you know, brought into helping other people do that. But it's, it's something that I think is important to remember when we're, we're feeling through the healing journey and healing from loss is that we're going to be doing stuff that probably doesn't make any sense. No. But that later on, it's going to be really, really meaningful and useful. So we, it's like we just have to trust that that's what's happening. And that's that was my it wasn't my experience at the time. At the time, I was just like hot mess. But looking back, I see the pattern of my life. And so that gives me a lot of strength now, knowing that even when I'm not sure exactly why I'm doing something or what, I trust that it's it's giving me skills and tools because it's culminating bringing yeah. something together for me even if I don't know what it is yet it's trusting the process Absolutely. and I really like that isn't it is as you you know as you're going through life you might as you said with your you know your marketing that you you think you're gaining all these skills because it's going to bring you that success that that you thought was you know what you were what you were seeking um but actually you were really just equipping equipping yourself to be able to deal with much more kind of fundamental deeper 
mm, issues yeah. around around knowing your understanding and knowing yourself far more and I guess that's yeah. the same with with lots of things that we go through life we it, it's just picking up and I'm, I'm a great advocate for you know just experience lots of different things because you'll be you'll be extracting tools or little nuggets of wisdom and things from those that will as you say, might not make any sense at the time or you might not know why you're doing them. I'll be honest, I don't really know why I'm doing this podcast, mm. but I feel a calling to do it. And I'm assuming at some point in the future <laughs> that will all become clear. <laughs> yeah, and it and it's kind of like maybe it does and maybe it doesn't, but yeah. if it's fun and if there's some, if you're gaining some mm, feeling of satisfaction from it even if that satisfaction is you know like for a lot of us in professional spheres I definitely felt this in my in my 20s and a little bit in my early 30s it's like the satisfaction was so fleeting you know it was so dependent on other people's opinions and things like that measures of success arbitrary measures of success Mm -hmm. but even if there is a satisfaction in there it's kind of following that satisfaction and allowing yourself to kind of have that as a key driver in your life because that's really what who you are that's what that's becoming is oh that feels good and like oh I'm you know that's something I want and I want to like play with that and I play with it and it's really good now I'm going to move on to something else it's not this kind of rigid thing it's I want to explore and for me increasingly every time I think oh I really want to I've seen a course or I've seen a retreat that I want to do I'm going to sign up and in my head I'm like why what 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 is this and as soon as I'm there I will tell you in the first 20 minutes I'm like this is why I'm here but it's that that takes a lot of um security and I and I believe that when people are struggling with loss or like significant trauma because of the nature of loss we don't feel secure we feel deeply insecure and so we can't trust in the same way you know and so the more when we're suffering with those issues or if someone is suffering with that feeling of of distrust or insecurity, focusing on creating that feeling to feel secure, to feel trusting, that's like your launch pad for the really deep healing that needs to happen. But that's, that stuff needs to come first, really, before it can you can expand. And that's the sense of security within yourself. Mm, yeah. yeah, and... It can sometimes look like and end up looking like external things. For me, I felt secure when I achieved things at work or I set goals and I achieved them. And now what I realise is like I love the feeling of being competent. So if I'm having a bad day, I'll often do something that I know I'm really good at. You know, like I'm really good at writing or write some really good emails or design something or have an idea. And then I feel good. I feel secure in myself. It's not that that it's not that that thing is my security. It's that it's recognizing that that thing out there has reminded me of my internal security. And it's that again. It's it's if you say, okay, well, I'm going to feel secure. I'm going to have a nice big house to live in. Unless you're really clear on how that ref, how that reminds you of your internal security, you're never going to feel secure. It's got to be something for me where. It's just a reflection of who you are and it's a reflection of this quality of security because we have that. Like 
that is our birthright is to know that we're okay and once you know when we get there when we see that and remember it all this outside stuff can be a reflection of that but if we're not there yet it will always be quite hollow mm. so yeah security is the the sense of self and the sense within you and that takes that takes time to to cultivate that but it can be done and sometimes one of the ways it can be done is to create the external circumstances of it you know have a loving relationship and have a stable income a stable home whatever it is that you need but recognizing that you're doing those things so that you can find that internal security rather than just stopping at the external got to be that kind of it's got to pull it out of you and show it to you rather than just your weight you're just sticking with the external world because I guess that that security that you gain through the external world at some point that could go yeah and it will whereas if you if you've linked it into actually that gives that gives me my inner security yeah 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 I think a good example for me because so much of my healing has been around love and worthiness and desire um and and the the sense of being in in my body and in myself in my relationship that I'm in with with one of my partners now a long-term relationship his love for me his his unconditional love for me has taught me to love myself and I don't think there's anything wrong with that but it's recognizing that that's what's happened and not just staying. I could have just stayed with what, if he loves me, as long as he loves me, I'll be okay. It's actually no, like really seeing when you see that in someone, how much they love you and care about you and you allow it to be a reality internally. Well, if you love me that much, maybe I could love me that much. When you have that internal reality, then actually whether or not that person loves you doesn't matter kind of sort of making themselves redundant really but it's really key and I think that's a big part that doesn't you know we get kind of stuck on that part the transition but it's allowing it to be a reality internally as as well as an experience externally and I wonder if having that internal knowledge if you like or ability to to love yourself actually then helps you love other people even more or yeah. I don't know more more deeply or just on a on a different kind of level yes to when you're depending upon that love yeah. to feel when we see anything as transactional it will always be a transaction and that means that if we feel we've got nothing to give in the transaction we won't think we're allowed to have anything so mm. you know for me, a big part of my spiritual realization was recognizing that my natural state is unconditional love. And I am a very trusting and loving person. And for all the experiences that I've had, of which some of them I've mentioned have been some, they've not been all by, you know, some of the more challenging ones or traumatic ones. I wouldn't change that at all. And just allowing myself to be a kind of unconditional lover and someone who trusts and honors people and really believes in them just allowing that to be who I am creates a sense of just relief 
in me but also it does people get it people see it in me you know and it's it's like I can't um not do it and they pick up on it and that's that's why I then you know although I didn't plan it that's really me going into teaching that's then me going into facilitation and coaching and having this very welcoming and loving and open approach that also is you know I'm not going to take any nonsense from people but that's kind of what love is it's that I'll love you however you are but if you want to change I'm going to be there for you I'm not going to you know pretend that everything's fine and dandy if you don't feel it is but it does you know whatever your thing is the capacity that you recognize within yourself that is true to who you are when you acknowledge it and allow it to be real internally whether it's love or anything else it does allow you to just do it more because you're not resisting it Mm-hmm. it's like the who you are versus who you've been taught to be or learn how to be when you recognize actually you are both and you can integrate them you stop resisting and you stop kind of spending loads of energy and time and frustration on who it should be because it's just you you know if you are someone who um deeply honors and kind of cherishes other people and you love, I don't know, showering them with gifts, but you were taught when you were a kid that that's weird and you shouldn't just give people presents. You're going to resist it all your life and no one's going to get any, like no one's going to get any presents from you. Whereas actually you love doing that. So it's like when you accept that, it gives you that relief. And I think with loss and the idea of, you know, when we're experiencing these traumatic things is I think it can be a reflection of what we've lost or what we're losing within ourselves or an aspect of ourselves that that person or that entity represented that we kind of have to recognize and be comfortable with and enjoy. You know, if, if a parent passes and that parent was this fun, loving, playful person, it's an opportunity for us to go, okay, well, just because they've gone doesn't mean I don't have that. Like that's still within me. I can still have fun like they showed me how, like they were the reflection of who I was, you know, or if we lose a job and the job gave you a lot of purpose and meaning, you can still have that because it's a reflection of how much you're committed to finding purpose and meaning. But it's like, you've got to, got to keep letting it in. And how do you do that? Oh, well, <laughs> this is where I should have a book. Shouldn't I be like, why don't you, yeah yeah I I think it's for me you know I think there's so many different aspects to letting it in but for me it was a big part of it was physical things so embodiment movement dance sexuality and sensuality and there's a lot of you know in recorded history there's a lot of indications of the closeness of of spirituality and sexuality or spirituality and sensuality and for some people and in many kind of European traditions that's been separated that you are sexual sensual or an embodied human which we all are that somehow you cannot be spiritual because it's wrong or it's taboo or something it's that kind of division that separation isn't it of of body and spirit yeah and and the reality is that we're both we're experiencing both at the same time we can't ignore it so again it's it's stopping the separation working on the integration and allowing it to be real and not resisting it but for me 
really tuning into the body side of things was, you know, I, to me, it was not that everything else wasn't helpful. Therapy, 100% therapy saved life. I wouldn't be here if I hadn't had therapy when I was younger. It continues to support me. All of the things like eating well and, you know, all that stuff, talking about it, great. But for me, embodiment practices, movement, physical practices, it was like so immediate to almost be a shock. And I know that's why people avoid them. You know, when I work with people and I encourage them to do something, or where does it feel in your body? Or let's do this movement. And they're like, I don't want to do it. It's because they know Mm. that they're going to move like that or breathe like that or rest. And then it's all going to come in because the body, the body is so aware and conscious of all of the experiences we've had so if it's not a shortcut it's but it's um it's almost like um it's immediate it's so immediate and I suppose there's there's no kind of covering up is there because the the body speaks the truth so whilst cognitively we can um I suppose construct all sorts of beliefs and stories about why something's happened or what we're feeling or why we're feeling it but the body just yeah it just is can't lie can it no it can't lie (laughs) and that it's a really interesting point you make there about the why like why these things happen and again for me therapy and counseling and, and all these different things have been so crucial in understanding some of the why the reasons and as I've gone through that process, I've recognized that sometimes we don't have to know why we don't have to be able to articulate why to start healing. So this is why the movement and embodiment can be so amazing because you don't have to be able to explain or put words to the sensation that you're having or to explain that it was because this thing happened when you were seven years old, blah, blah, blah. It's actually, I'm just feeling it. And I'm going to feel it and then I'm going to let it go because my body is 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 doing that for me. Just so, for the purposes yeah. for somebody listening who's thinking, what what is this embodiment that she's mm. talking about? Do you want to just kind of explain a little bit about yeah. what so that em- sort of work entails? Yeah, so embodiment is a kind of umbrella term to refer to any practice which would be considered therapeutic in nature in, in some way that involves Uh, listening to the body moving the body working with the body so on one end you might have something which is like massage or energy massage or reiki which although you're not moving a lot someone is engaging and interacting with your body you might have dance or ecstatic dance or five rhythms both of which i love where you are moving very actively but it can also include things like um body scanning which is a technique you know sometimes used in meditation different types of breathing um it can include like trance states all different sorts of things which are very much focused on rather than talking about or thinking about or writing about some sort of loss or healing or trauma it's feeling about it and letting the body kind of indicate what what information it wants to present There's so many different ways to do it, but people actually, from my experience, um, it can be quite rapid. 
So, you know, if there's someone listening and they have a tendency, and I'm sure there will be, it's like they're always rushing around, they never stop, always doing things. And then when they sit down, they get an overwhelming feeling of stress or anxiety or fear or sadness. That is your body trying to tell you something because you're spending so much time not listening to it. Mm -hmm. And then when you sit down and pause, it all comes out. And in, really embodiment is the pausing and giving the, the body space and time to express itself in different ways. And it can come out in all sorts of like mad, completely crazy ways, singing, shouting, crying, roaring, punching, moving, all different sorts of things. And when you're working with someone who practices embodiment or is guiding you in that, they're perhaps giving you a little bit more instruction so that you can lean into a particular emotion, for example. So if you have, if you struggle with anger or expressing yourself, they might encourage you to do some vocalization and kind of make sounds, not to force it, but to kind of almost, they're opening the door and then you're walking through. So the, the embodiment practitioner would open the door by encouraging you to, to do an activity with your body and then you kind of lean into it. Thank you so much for that explanation. I thought that I understood what embodiment was, but you certainly added some extra layers okay. <laughs> of it to that. So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, I think it, for me, it's really the, it's the recognition that we're more than just kind of a head floating about yeah. in space. You know, we exist from the neck down. And as someone who for many years was very frightened of what was from the neck down because of the experience of being very young and feeling quite um, unseen and perhaps kind of, I was a child who wanted to be free, but what I learned to do was be restricted. Mm -hmm. And that was particularly compounded by, you know, I found out last year that um, I have ADHD. So I was told a lot as a kid to sit still. I wanted to move about. So that plus the being a rape survivor plus lots of other things I had this very negative relationship with everything from the neck down and it was essentially a protection mechanism because I knew if I started looking a lot of difficult stuff would come up and that's okay like we don't have to do everything all at once we can do it in in sections but when I did start listening to what was there it was so wise and expressive and real and and a very for all of the pain that I needed to process literally the physical trauma of that happens with with sexual abuse or any type of, of violence as well as the the trauma and the the memory of the pain that was stored in my body there was also this amazing kind of vocabulary and richness of pleasure and interest and expression and joy but that was under the other stuff mm. and that when I talk about you know finding the joy of existing and pleasure it's because oh isn't it just wonderful to have like the breeze blow across your skin and yeah. isn't it wonderful to drink coffee and smell the grass and feel the rain and but that's under that was under the part where I didn't want to look at myself from the neck down. Mm. 
And that's where the embodiment comes in. It allows you to talk to your body and speak and listen to it so that you can then get to this point where it's just like, oh, wow, isn't it wonderful to be in this meat sack on the planet, having a human experience, being alive? What is it like? And it, it gave me, it even gave me the energy to do things like exercise and to eat better because suddenly it wasn't something that I needed to get rid of or ignore because it was so painful it was this amazing vessel that had been through terrible things and had survived and was resilient and was now this incredible beautiful expressive thing that I could do I can do things with I can run I can you know I can do I can roller skate on my period like you know I can do all this mad stuff it's like so of course I would want to of course naturally I would want to then invest time and energy into it but if we don't have if we don't get through that bit of the pain we're not going to feel that and I think there's a lot of people feeling disconnected with their body acting in rebellious ways with their body around eating as I said before like maybe eating or drug use or alcohol use sex anything and it's because they're numbing the the middle layer of pain whereas if we move through that middle layer of pain we get to a point where we're like god I love this this is amazing I love this some of us have to go the long way around to do that but when you get there, it's like, oh, gorge, just gorgeous. I guess the body is one of those first, is it an easy place to sort of shut down from and disconnect, which is perhaps why so many of us yeah. do that. But it's... It is very easy. It's kind of easy. It's culturally approved. Yes, that's, that's you know, better. Yeah. Yeah, we don't. And it doesn't matter what gender you're in, you know, people who historically in kind of women and feminine or female bodies, you know, they're they're suppressed because they're seen as dangerous in that, like their sexuality is dangerous, but also they're frightening because they can bleed and live. But also in masculine or masculine human bodies or male human bodies, they're dangerous because they're aggressive, because they're uncontrollable, because they're violent, because they're big. And actually, like, bodies are way more complicated than that, you know, and the training that I've done around sensuality in kind of somatic practice, so somatic being meaning of the body as well, around that, around neo-tantra, is that actually when you really get to know a body, it is much more complicated. And, it, and in a beautiful way, it's much more subtle and when people have the space to express the fullness of who they are, their body becomes this dynamic um, vehicle that has aggression and has danger, but also has yielding and beauty and kind of it has expressions and extremes which are really astonishing. But it's not culturally approved to play with that. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't let kids run about really a lot. We don't, you know, if a kid's picking the nose or pulling their hair or fiddling with themselves or touching or whatever's touching their skin, it's like, don't don't pick, don't do that, don't do that. Or if we've got a child who's particularly expressive or dramatic, it's like, calm down. You know, it's yeah. we're trying to put the bodies in a box of this, of a thing of, of what the body is not. You know, it is a burping, farting machine. And like, that's good. Yeah, I mean, even that is sort of, 
you know frowned upon isn't it yeah but that's <laughs> they're a, just you know basic human functions basic humans functions you know because they're so tied to what we perceive as the animal kingdom and the animal yeah. kingdom is bad and blah 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 but you know yes we do all those things but also we can experience incredible pleasure and we can experience like the touch of a loved one or a hug or kissing or you know the smell of someone oh my god mm. don't even get me started on smell it's just like this incredibly potent experience that can be incredibly fulfilling and spiritual and meaningful but only if we let ourselves go there I think this is why as well lots of people particularly women and femme presenting people there's lots of stress around orgasm and sexual satisfaction because it means letting go letting go of control Mm allowing someone to see you in a state of disarray of yeah. abandon it was amazing um i had a tantric massage with um, a guy called ben who who now does some who helps me with the kind of business side and mentors me a bit and after the massage he said he said this amazing thing he was like you know women and kind of feminine human bodies they have this capacity to have these incredible multi-orgasmic cosmic spiritual experiences but they're scared and so they need someone to go with them he's like and it was so eye-opening for me he was like it's not your partner that gets you there it's you get you there but you just need some support but allowing yourself to be supported allowing yourself to be seen in that kind of gory and glory and kind of orgasmic screaming shouting however it is for you or you know there's all these things about how you think it should be however it is for you that requires a level of bravery and vulnerability that is quite hard to access unless we've been through that pain around how we've our bodies have been treated and how are the emotions in our bodies have been treated as well. It's also an element of how secure you feel in your in yourself ultimately. Yeah. There's a, a lovely song. I, there's a lovely song that I really like, have liked listening to recently, which it's got a spoken word piece. And I think from a philosopher, but I'm not sure which one. And he says, oh, you all know that deep inside, if you look deep inside, there's not a black hole. There's something there. But you're so scared of it just being nothing that you don't look. And that's kind of how I feel that's really important is that idea of, you know, feeling secure in yourself. It's because we're sometimes it's because we're worried there's nothing in there but actually when we look there's a whole universe inside there and when we can allow that to be a reality and feel secure in that things become much more open to us I think we like to talk about it as you know body image and self-confidence and comparison and stuff but again that's just that's the vessel rather than the the experience of living in the vessel it's almost like it's separating it again, saying, oh, well, my body image isn't very good, therefore I can't do this, or I don't want to feel like this. And it's kind of like, but you are your body. Mm. So it's your, it's you, it's how you feel about you, it's not your body. And I know this kind of sounds a bit, it sounds like semantics, but I think it's important because we don't want to end up replicating this same body-mind or body-spirit division by suggesting that it's about a problem on our external experience surface or how people perceive our external surface it's a problem of 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 how we feel about ourselves as a whole and once we can integrate and navigate that those tensions or integrate that whole 
then we release that resistance. We get that relief. We take that crisis. It becomes that triumph. It becomes that kind of mountain that we climb. And then at the top, oh my God, amazing. This amazing view. But let's not pretend that it's just one small part of us. It is us. It's all of us. It's about having the maybe the courage or sometimes even more than that, the the awareness to trust our innate wisdom that we have within yeah. us because we've all we've all got it. But I guess we learned that's that's almost perhaps the bit that gets washed, mm. isn't it? That confidence in our in what we know feels right, but some external factor being tells us otherwise when we're younger that makes us question that and and then we stop trusting it yeah absolutely and something that I've talked about with with lots of people friends and and clients and all sorts is there's a realization really where you go yes that's what happened to me as a child and I picked up on this knowledge and it was like you said it was washed away from me that innate wisdom and I'm not a child anymore and I think that's actually quite hard to reckon with that. Yes, this is something that you were taught or you learned, but you've chosen to continue to believe it. Mm. And now it's time to let it go. And again, it's maybe a bit easier to stay with what you know than to go, actually, if I got rid of all this stuff and I just relied on my intuition, I would be fine. That's like, whoa, okay, that's yeah. that's been great. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get what, from here to there? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're asking. You know, that's what we're kind of asking of ourselves to do. But I, yeah, recognizing that at some point we have to say, yes, this is what happened in my life and this is what I picked up from it. This is what I decided to learn from it and how I decided to live. And that's not who I am anymore. Mm. Maybe it was never who I was, but it's it's a very, it, it, you said there about awareness and courage. And I think it's also like bloody mindedness, I think is part of it. It's just like, I remember my therapist many years ago saying, oh, you know, you made a choice when you were younger to do X, Y, Z. And I said, it didn't feel like a choice. It felt like a compulsion. Like if I didn't do this, if I didn't leave, if I didn't do whatever, I would have died. And so often, so many of us are pushed to that point, breaking point of, if I don't do X, I'm going to just crumble. And I think the real healing and the process of of becoming and expanding and moving up when you know you're not in a place of operating from this loss state all the time is when you actively choose to heal and work on yourself and develop without having to get to a crisis point that you're doing it because it's pleasurable and joyful and you want to expand not because if you don't do it you're going to fall apart and that it's okay that that happens that I think for everybody but you don't want it to keep happening you don't want to have to be going in these cycles of crumbling okay I'll do something about it otherwise I'll crumble again or I'll do something about it that's exhausting there has to be a point where you go this time it's not the last time but this time this is i'm not going to let it get this far again it'll still go bad you'll still crumble it'll still be things that you know sideswipe you yeah but you're going to you're going to actively get ahead of it and you're going to choose to 
to engage with the process of, of becoming and expanding before you're forced into it. You know, you're going to jump with the parachute rather than be pushed off and wonder whether you've got a parachute. Yeah, wow, I love that. And I guess that whole piece of how do you get from there or here mm. to over there, that's something that is then useful to have somebody kind of almost walking alongside you to help you navigate that way. So whether that be a, a coach or a therapist or, you know, it could even be a friend who's, you know, of a similar mm -hmm. kind of mindset and, you know, desire to explore those things. Yeah. But I guess having that support in whatever form it takes is is actually really quite important quite probably a key piece in in being able to yeah to do that absolutely yeah it's we want guides yeah that, guides, we, yeah, yeah nice guides it's like we it, that doesn't mean that they have to know exactly what it is for us it doesn't have they don't even have to have walked the exact same way they don't have to be anything like us what we have to recognize is we both have to recognize in that experience is that they we are we are being guided by them and some of my guides, you know, the people who've guided me have come in very different, you know, shapes and forms. And my therapist is one of them. My coach has been another one, but also friends, lovers, partners, family members at different times. But also, you know, strangers or people I meet, you know, once on a course and then I don't see them again. Or it's it's allowing yourself to be guided, I think, is the key thing. and when you can actively engage with that and either see everybody as, okay, what, what can I learn from you? What is the momentum that you can help me have? Or you actively engage with, I'm going to ask someone or I'm going to hire someone to work with me to guide me through this. It's like a commitment to yourself that says, yeah, you know what? I'm, I want support and I need help because that's, I think there's so I, I've done this recently I've said to my friend you know going through a few different things at the moment and I'm trying to do it in this really graceful way and I spoke to my sister and she's like stop being stop trying to be graceful just be a mess if you need to be a mess and that's my journey to to get comfortable with the messiness um but just acknowledging that you actually want a helping hand on this you want a guide doesn't have to be perfect you don't have to know everything but I just want someone to lean on and to like mm. clear a bit of the path as we're walking together is so crucial I wouldn't as I said like therapy saved my life but I wouldn't have moved forward in the way I have at the rate I have and have the pleasurable experiences that I have now if I hadn't actively been seeking guides and been open to being guided constantly my favourite story of it is around my spiritual kind of awakening. And I went down to Glastonbury town and just never been there. I'd love to stay there. And I went down and I was flicking through the a guidebook and they had like listings of what was on and there was a sound bath. And I was like, oh, that, that sounds interesting. Thought no more about it. Ignored it. Just wandered around the town and wandered into this beautiful courtyard. And some this woman opened a window on the first floor and went, oh, excuse me are you here for the sound bath? And I went, I guess I am. 
and that sound bath was eye-opening in it took me to a place and it exposed me to some ideas and memories and just visualizations in myself that were really quite powerfully transformative and afterwards she said to me I never do that I would never just lean out the window and shout but she said but I just felt I had to and it's like that where you go okay that's the sort of experience I want to have is I want to be open to be guided I want Mm -hmm. to seek and I want to find the guys but the biggest thing is I'm not going to assume that they are or are not my guys I'm just going to let it yeah you might not know until way after the event that actually they were yeah and as you were saying that I was thinking well do you know what maybe that's one of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast because you know I learn so much from every single guest that I have on so you know in their own way they're you know they're being they're being my guides you know and I'm not necessarily using what I may learn from them you know in everyday life but there will be a point where I'll think back oh yeah what would so and so do in that yeah. you know what did I what did I learn from that episode that would that would really help so we are you know we're social from a from an animalistic way we're social creatures we want to support each other we live in community in my perspective from a spiritual perspective we are one entity and there's different parts of us that are deciding to do different things and speak to each other and then we meet and then we go and then we change and then we grow and everything and it's recognizing that just like I was saying, you know, the security you see externally, you've got to let it in. Actually, these people outside of you who are guiding you, even if they're annoying you or maybe they're challenging you, they're a reflection of something that you want to learn or you want to experience. And I think when we're working through loss of some kind, it's we need even more guidance, not because we don't know what's right or what's wrong or what to do, but just because we want that support we are Mm. we are in a place that feels like a jungle that we can't get out of and it just feels or a desert there's no way markings are nowhere to go and having that guide that support just helps us move those little steps further it might be one step you know it might be two or whatever I think Clarissa Pinkola Estes in Women Who Run With The Wolves in the introduction she has this wonderful bit about you know walking through the desert and you want to give up you always want to give up in this this kind of dark night of the soul through the dry desert and you walk 500 steps and you decide that's enough and you turn around but on the 501st step that's when you see the hut that has the person in to give you the wisdom and it's kind of keeping going is really Mm -hmm. key but also it's not that you're keeping going to do it by yourself you're keeping going and you meet someone and then they give you the energy to move forward and definitely, like I said, from my experience, all of the guides I've had in different guises over the years, they have given me that forward momentum. But then I've taken and gone, and I have no doubt there will be even more as I continue through my life. And like I said, you know, even if it's a loss that you didn't even realise you had it in the first place to lose even then you know you need it even more you need those guides even more because you are just looking at a blank map with nothing on it you know if you've had it and then you lose it at least you kind of know the history yes or the path that you were on but if it's just a blank map you you need that support even more and I would really encourage people to whatever that guidance is whether it's listening to this podcast 
or working with a therapist or a counselor or a coach or whoever like it's there like that is the route forward is to to be supported and to work in a collaborative capacity on the, you know the becoming of who you are and that flourishing and if somebody has been listening to this podcast and thinks oh, i would like eleanor to be one of my guides in my journey how could they get in contact with you who do you who are the sort of people that you work with so I've worked with lots of different people over the years and um, recently I'm choosing to work specifically with men because I really see there's a powerful opportunity to support men people who've been raised as men with issues around identity and intimacy and masculinity which are at the root cause of a lot of a lot of challenges not just for them personally but in relationships and and socially as well so really at the moment I'm, I'm focusing on working specifically with men however I'm always open to conversations with people who recognize that they're on this journey, particularly if it's around, as I said, this kind of identity, who they are and intimacy, their body, their sexuality, their sensuality, whether it's something like struggling with a sex life or perhaps some like gender dysphoria or even things like recognizing their, their resistance to pleasure and desire, because that's not just sexual. That is that is life. That is yeah. life. So if people recognize that, I would always encourage them to, to get in contact with me. The best way is you can email me. So it's hello at Um, And you can find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram as well. I post on there fairly regularly, but I really recommend those places because that's where I'm most active. Um, but yeah, my email is just get in touch. And my kind of promise that I have is, you know, whatever you're facing, whatever crisis it is, I believe that in 45 minutes, you can get relief and clarity from it. And when we have a 45 minute consultation call, you will come out the end of that feeling better, feeling more relieved and clearer about this process of how you're going to navigate it. That's like an absolute guarantee. And I always find that my consultation calls are almost as powerful as the coaching sessions. Lots of tears often in them because we're going to speak to that and we're going to we're going to guide you through that and we're going to start straight away you know I'm not going to wait we're going to be like yes let's start walking in this desert because actually we can see that there's this amazing beautiful ocean at the other side so let's start walking now even if you don't carry on walking with me I want you to take those first few steps that just sounds absolutely fabulous thank you so much for your time today Eleanor I've so enjoyed this conversation. I've learned from lots from it. I yeah, just feel completely uplifted. So oh, I, I loved it. it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Rachel. And I really appreciate. I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk about these things, but also to share the joy of it. And you know, so yeah. much self development and healing is around this. We're not saying it's not painful, but so much of it is about just getting back to okay. But for me, like, it's exponential because once you're at okay, you don't want to stop. Like, you want to keep going. Yeah. You want to find more and be uplifted, like you said, and, and find that joy and pleasure. So I'm really glad that that came across and that I really hope and I trust that people listening will have that feeling as well. 
Definitely. I'm going to go outside right now and walk barefoot on my lawn oh, because I know it. that that's, mm, <laughs> lovely, yeah. that's one way of getting in touch with that kind of joyful playfulness, isn't it, in a, in a very simple and easy way. <laughs> yeah, great, that's lovely. Oh, thank you, Eleanor. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much, Eleanor, for such a joyfully rich conversation. I hope you all found it valuable too. If you'd like to find out more about Eleanor's work, please check out eleanorsnare.com. Details are on the show notes. Thank you so much to everyone who supports me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell, as always, for the beautiful music. And finally, thanks to you for listening. Please share, comment, like, it all makes a difference. And I'll be back soon with another lesson from loss. Thank you.